Let's read today's passage together and then pray. Luke 19, 28 to 38. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And he went along. People spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Let us pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray today that you would be with us, that you would be near us in a way that we could be aware of you. Open our spiritual eyes, open our spiritual ears, that we could see and understand, that we could hear and know you more. I pray today that a familiar text and a familiar story and a familiar Sunday, Palm Sunday, would become something unexpected, something exceptional, something that can be used in your hands. Please speak to us in all the ways you choose to. We choose to listen to you today. In your name we pray, amen. So we come here to um, a common text around this time of year. It is Palm Sunday, and we're going to be looking at this event. But perhaps we're going to be taking a different angle than you're normally used to looking at this event. Sometimes we focus on um, the, how the people cried Hosanna, and that means the Lord saved us. And we, we focus on the triumphal entry, Jesus going, going through the gate and everybody screaming and yelling and so excited. And then how that is the juxtaposition of the next moment where those same people are saying, Barabbas, Barabbas, choose Barabbas, this criminal over Jesus. Let his blood be on us and our children. This, this crazy contrast between Hosanna, God save us, and worshiping and loving on Jesus to wanting to have him nailed to a cross, wanting him to be crucified. And that's what we're coming to on Friday. But today I want to look at this event, this triumphal entry, and I want to look at it at a different entry point. And so let's imagine with me an event, would you? There's 3 million people in attendance. So imagine the busiest day on the New York Times floor before COVID when everyone was jammed together and yelling and screaming. An event busier than that, louder than that, than the, than the most rushed subway station at rush hour. Imagine the sound of animals <laughs> bleeding in your ears. 250,000 lambs there. Imagine the noise and the streets and people of all ages, babies and toddlers, teenagers, moms and dads, grandparents, all chattering loudly, excitedly, walking through a busy, a busy town, a busy street. If you're imagining this in your mind, this is an actual event of Passover at this time when Palm Sunday occurs. 
People came from all over to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover there. And the Roman historian tell us that this was such a, a, a spectacle of an event. And because this event was to celebrate and to remember what God had done, how God had rescued his people from their oppressors, from the Egyptians that had oppressed them. That's what the Passover is celebrating. That's what's happening here on Palm Sunday. The people are get gearing up to celebrate the Passover. And so people are hustling and bustling. And so Pontius Pilate, who was the governor, you'll remember his name later on uh, as we get closer to uh, Good Friday, becomes an important character. But Pontius Pilate, he wanted to put on a spectacle of his own. So as the people are, are rejoicing and getting ready to celebrate Passover together, Pontius Pilate wants to remind the people that they are not free that they are still oppressed. But this time, instead of Egypt, their oppressor is Rome. And so Pontius Pilate makes a display of his strength, a display of Rome's strength. And what he does at this exact time is he gets on a white horse and he's flanked by Roman soldiers, swords in their hand, um, carrying spears. There's drums playing. He's, he's all dressed in his regalia, riding on this white horse. And he comes in through the Western Gate in Jerusalem. He comes in as a king on display, showing the fact that this is, he has the right of might, that he can intimidate the people, that they shouldn't celebrate their freedom too quickly because that freedom was in the past. Right now, they have to do what Rome says the way Rome wants it. This is a reminder to the Jews, a reminder to them that their Messiah has not yet come, a reminder to them that they are not yet a free people, that they are still oppressed. And this is what Pontius Pilate does. And it is in this setting, it is in this exact setting that we see Jesus making an opposite yet more powerful display it is a display of humility. It is a display of gentleness. It is a display of peace. The donkey that Jesus decides to ride on, it's making the opposite statement that Pontius Pilate is making, riding in on a white horse. See, kings in the ancient times, they would ride in on a white horse if they were declaring war, if they were declaring victory and triumph in a, a time of war, saying, uh, we, are, we are in a battle and we're going to win this territory. We're going to take it on. But if they were coming in peace, if they were coming in gentleness, if they were coming in a time of peace, they would ride in on a donkey. And so here's Jesus. He's going to be riding in on a donkey through the eastern gate, the opposite gate that, um, that Pontius Pilate was riding in. This gate that indicates that, that he is the prince of peace. And we want to look at how this moment came to be. This moment that is so iconic in the, in the life and ministry of Jesus. This last moment of true, pure celebration of being accepted by the, the common person. This last moment that we remember. How does it come to be? How does Jesus come to find himself on that donkey? That donkey that fulfills so many Old Testament prophecies that we're going to see in a minute. He comes through the trust and obedience of common and obscure people. And we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at a request. We're going to look at a response. And thirdly, we're going to look at the result. So let's first start with the request. I want you to think for a minute and imagine with me that you have been saving money up to buy a brand new truck. 
You've had your eye on this truck and you've been searching for deals and, and searching for what's the best model, what's the best make, what's the best color, what's, well, you know, what truck can hold the most of my stuff? What truck will impress my friends and relatives? Which, what's in my budget? And you've been saving up money little by little to buy this brand new truck. And you finally got it. And you're so proud and you're so excited. And you, you pull into the driveway of your house and, and you go into your house and you're, you're ready to call um, your, your wife out. And you say, oh, come see this truck. I finally bought it. I'm so excited. Let's go for a ride in our brand new truck. And as you come out the front door, keys in hand, ready to buy this new truck, someone comes over and says, oh, um, by the way, I'm going to need your truck. You're like, who are you? What do you mean you're going to need my truck? No, I need my truck and I just bought it and I'm, you know, I need, I need it. I have use of it. And you're like, please, uh, no, let me call 911 real quick. <laughs> you're not going to let a stranger come take your truck. You're not going to give the keys over to just anybody. Even if you had a friend who was like, oh, can I drive your truck around for a bit? You might be tempted with a brand new truck to say, hey, can you just leave a deposit and just fill out this form in case anything happens to my truck on the way? Can you pay me for the, for my, for the service or the use of my truck? Can you ensure that it's going to be okay? Give me a copy of your license and registration and insurance, please. We wouldn't just hand it over to anybody. And yet we see this request coming to this obscure man. We don't even know his name. These owners of um, this donkey. And Jesus tells his disciples to go and to make this request of this person. And he, all the disciples are instructed to say is the Lord has need of it. And we see how this owner responds to this strange request. The Lord has need of it. This owner's response is without hesitation. He gives this donkey over. And, it's, and it seems really strange, but in the ancient world, they had a custom co called Angaria. And this is when someone of great importance, a high-ranking ruler, would commandeer livestock for their own purposes. And maybe in the back of the mind of this, this person who owns this donkey, they're thinking, okay, well, obviously somebody more important than I needs this, and they, they have a right to, to my donkey. Or perhaps it was the wording of the request itself. So in Greek, this request, the Lord has need of it, it literally translates to the Lord's donkey is needed. <laughs> the Lord's donkey is needed. Inside the request is the reason the Lord has need of it. It is the Lord's donkey. The Lord's donkey is needed. See, all things belong to God. All things. This man's donkey did. Psalm 50 verse 10 says, For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 24 1 says, For the earth is the Lord's and all the things in it. This was the Lord's donkey, and he did have need of it. This was the request. The request was from the Lord. Now, the area that this was happening in was Bethany, and you might recognize the name of that town. That's the town that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are from. This is the town where Lazarus, not too long ago, was raised from the dead. And Jesus was famous there. And so perhaps when they said, the Lord has need of it, this man said anything for Jesus. And there was a recognition of who he was and what actually belonged to him. Maybe Jesus had made arrangements ahead of time for this donkey to be used. We don't know the exact reasons, but we do know that, that this request was met with a response. 
And the response was trust and obedience. We see this trust and obedience several times through. Firstly, we see it from the disciples. Jesus tells his disciples to go and to untie this donkey. Now, if I'm the disciples, I'm thinking this is a strange request. First of all, why does Jesus need a donkey? Second of all, oh no, like what do you mean go and untie a donkey, go to this specific spot and untie a donkey? First of all, how do I know there's going to be a donkey there when I get there? Second of all, untie this donkey? That's the equivalent of saying go to the street and you'll find a truck there and in the truck will be keys. In the engine, turn it on, drive drive it away. And if I'm one of the disciples, I'm thinking, is this going to be okay? Is someone going to be irate that I've stolen or commandeered their donkey? What's going to happen? There's there's a response of trust, even in the fact that these disciples heard Jesus' words, then they went and accomplished them. Then they went and did what he said, and they found it to be as he said. There was a donkey there. They did go to untie him. And when they said Jesus' message, the Lord has need of it, the owners gladly and freely gave of this donkey. So it's so interesting that even though they were unsure of the outcome or the consequences of their actions, that they trusted and obeyed anyway. Sometimes in our life, God makes requests of us. Not sometimes, all the time. Sometimes we're just not paying attention. But we know that God's making requests of us and of our lives, how we live our lives, how we how we live in community with one another. And sometimes these requests that God makes, these commands that are given to us to love and honor and obey, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves, these requests, these requests involve trust and obedience. Will I trust God that what he says to me is true? Will I obey God? So once I trust God, I say, okay, I'll trust you, God. But now will I obey him? Not only will I trust him and go to this spot and look for this donkey like the disciples, but once I'm there, I will take that act and I will untie it. It's one thing to hear God's words. It's another thing to trust God's words that they're true. And it's a really another thing to obey them. I can hear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. I can hear the message of the gospel, that Jesus died and then rose again, and that I need to accept that. I can hear that. (laughs) I can read it in the Bible. But then do I trust it? Do I trust that it's true, that he is the only way to God? That Jesus is the only way, that the message of Christianity really is exclusionary. Can Can I trust that? That There's no other pathway to God except through Christ. Okay, I trust that. Now will I obey? (laughs) And what does obedience look like? What does it look like to obey God? I've heard it. I've, I've trusted it. And now I have to obey. Obeying might look a myriad of different ways in our life. Sometimes obeying looks like taking that next step, the one that you've been avoiding, the thing that you you know you're supposed to do next. Loving that person in a tangible way in front of you, the one who's been annoying you at work all week, and God's asking you to love them, bringing them coffee. (laughs) Sometimes obeying looks like a big thing, like giving up something that we've wanted for a really long time. 
like letting go of something that we've held onto, a sin, a struggle, even a pleasure that he's asking us to give up for a greater good. What does obedience look like in our life? See, we can hear that he's the Lord. We can trust that he is the Lord, but will we obey him as Lord? And so the disciples trust and obey. Secondly, we see this trust and obedience response from the owner. So in Jesus's time, donkeys were actually really valuable. Nowadays, we're saying, oh, well, what used to we have a donkey here in our society? But in an agricultural society, they were an item of high value. And oftentimes families would pitch together money to, so that they could collectively own this donkey. It could be used in a variety of different ways for treading grain or for carrying goods or distributing things or carrying people. <laughs> these, these were important. I remember I was visiting a, another country and my friend and I, were, we were young and we were taking pictures kind of with animals on the road. And we we're like, oh, look at this cow. It's so cute. There's just animals just wandering the roads. And we're taking a picture with this cow and this guy across the way says, hey, hey, stop, stop, stop. And we're like, oh, no, we're in trouble. Maybe we shouldn't have been taking pictures of animals. I don't know. Maybe this is this guy's cow when he thinks we're going to steal it or he wants some money from us to take a picture with it. And he says, no, 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 that that cow, that's my neighbor's cow. That cow's no good. My my cow is much better looking. Come and take a picture with my cow. And so he proudly brought his cow to us and we took a picture with it. And so I kind of imagine this owner perhaps, you know, having the same kind of value system in the sense of taking care of his donkey. These were valuable uh, agricultural tools, these donkeys. These were important for bearing loads, for carrying things. And so it, would, it wouldn't have been an easy giveaway. And yet we see him trusting. We see him trusting that these disciples have been brought by the Lord. We see him trusting. So he sees these two guys, you know, unwinding, untying this donkey and says, hey, why are you untying this donkey? And the disciples only response is the Lord has need of it. And that was enough. That was enough for this owner to trust and to obey. Sometimes in our life, what can keep us from trusting, what can keep us from obeying is two things. One, we might think that it's too insignificant. We're, you know, God asking us to have integrity on our job, to not fudge the numbers or not steal that thing or not be lazy. But that's, you know, it's too little of a thing. It's not a big deal. This is insignificant. Do I really need to trust God in those areas? Do I really need to obey him? You know, that's, no one's going to see that. <laughs> and maybe God's asking us for a higher level of obedience. Maybe we think things are too small, but maybe we think things are too significant. They're too large. And we think, oh, I could never give up this relationship because this thing's too big. This thing's too important. It's too large in my life. And so we can't let it go. We sometimes make things too small or too big to trust God with it. And I think God is showing us through this story, through the trust and obedience of this obscure man whose name we do not even know, that we can trust God with things that may seem small to us or to others, with things that may seem really valuable and too large with our lives, with our families, with our marriages, with our money, with our time, with our resources. Do we trust God and are we willing to obey him. 
when he says, I have need of this in your life, will we willingly open our hands and relinquish the things that we hold so tightly, the things that we have plans for? And here's the the last point. So the first thing is a request. Then we have a response. And thirdly, we have the result owner of this donkey might have had plans for his donkey. I mean, there's people coming, three million people from all over flocking to Jerusalem for Passover. He could have used this donkey to carry his goods to sell them. He could have been renting his donkey out for donkey rides. (laughs) I don't know if they did that back then. I'm just making a joke. But he, you know, he could have been making money using this donkey. He could have had a purpose for this donkey. But the result of his trust and obedience, the result of the disciples' trust and obedience The result is that God's plans were fulfilled and God's plans were greater and God's plans were more important and God's plans mattered. So we see God's plans being fulfilled here. Number one, we see God's plans as the response of this man is trust and obedience, that it results in a fulfillment of prophecy. In Zechariah 9.9, we see, lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So maybe this owner did not have this prophecy in mind when he trusted and obeyed. However, the result was this prophecy in Zechariah 9.9, in order for it to be fulfilled, Jesus had to ride on a donkey. And this man's trust and obedience allowed this prophecy to come to pass. Secondly, The result is that this donkey had the privilege of carrying God's presence, carrying God's presence. Jesus himself is sitting on this donkey. And it's so interesting to me that this is a donkey that's never been ridden on. And according to ancient customs, when a king rode on, had an animal, a donkey, a horse, no one else could ride on it, only that king. And so this donkey is declaring the kingly presence of Jesus. It's interesting that this this donkey was unbroken, untrained, that the owner could have said, wait, 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 um, don't give Jesus my donkey yet. Don't give the Lord my donkey. Give me a little more time to train it. It's not ready yet. Sometimes we wait to have it all together before we give our lives to God, before we put our lives in Christ's hands. And here's this donkey. It's not been trained. It's not been broken in. It's probably not ready to face a huge crowd, the noise and stimulation of children screaming, of people crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, of of palm branches waving, of clothes it's never seen or smelt before being thrown on it, of the weight of a 30-something-year-old man sitting on his back. It's never been ridden. It's not used to this. And we can think sometimes our life is not ready that my life's not ready to be used by God. Let me get it together, <laughs> Lord. Let me let me figure things out. Let me just um kind of do this thing or that thing or or be in this relationship or try this new thing or do this with my money. Like I can't give that to you just yet, God. Just wait. And we hold these things back. And here's this man giving up his donkey just as it is and trusting that in Jesus's hands it's going to work out. And so this, this animal is carrying the presence of Christ and it's proclaiming peace. The real Messiah has come. That the Messiah might not be what people think <laughs> to free them from Rome, but this Messiah will free them from their sin. That this Messiah will free them from themselves. That this Messiah will free them completely. And so what is it that we're holding on to? 
What is the donkey in our lives? That thing that might not look that important. We might not think God cares about it that much. It seems insignificant. This stubborn little beast of burden. Or what is that thing in our life that we hold on? And it seems like it has so much value to us. And right now it's really important, but God is asking for it. All throughout scripture, we see examples of God using things that may seem significant to insignificant to other people and using them for his purposes and his glory. For Moses, he said, throw down your walking stick and it turned into a snake. And God starts to use that for miraculous purposes with with we see a woman of broken character named Rahab, who gives a portion of her roof to hide spies. And God uses that for his redemptive purposes and bringing the people to the promised land. We see a widow giving her last piece of bread to Elijah that she and her son had to live on. That's all they had, her last, her last jar of oil, her last jug of flour and making bread for Elijah and trusting and obeying God. We see David using a slingshot and some stones, trusting and obeying God and becoming a giant slayer. We see fishermen who give up their boat and Jesus uses it as a pulpit and as a place to speak and proclaim his word, a boat that they could have been using to catch fish and make money. And yet they trust and obey the Lord see a widow putting in two cents into the offering, trusting and obeying God to do more with her little and her lack than she could do with plenty. We see Mary giving up her body, her future, her reputation, trusting and obeying God that although it didn't make sense to her mind that she could bear the son of God, that if she trusted and obeyed the Lord, that she could be used for miraculous purposes in the world. And we see Joseph of Arimathea, he's trusting and obeying God, giving his tomb up freely. And his tomb gets to be part of one of the greatest stories of all, the resurrection story that we're going to come to um, later on. So we see when God has need of something, when we put it in God's hands, even if that something seems insignificant, like a walking stick, like two cents, like a boat, that God can do more through our lack and our little than we can do through much. Francis of Assisi was asked one time how he was able to accomplish so much. He replied, this may be why. The Lord looked down from heaven and said, where can I find the weakest, the littlest man on earth? And then he saw me and said, I found him. I will work through him and he won't be proud of it. He'll see that I'm only using him because of his insignificance. When we put our lives into God's hands, no matter how insignificant we may see ourselves to be, that God can do wonderful things. That when our response is trust and obedience, that the result is God's kingdom will grow. God's kingdom will be expanded. Heaven will come to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are we a part of that? And what is in your hand? What is it you have? What is your donkey today? How is God calling you and calling me to trust and to obey? Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you give us the opportunity to respond to requests that you have. 
is it that you have need of in our life, God? Whatever it is, no matter how insignificant or significant it may seem, our family, our time, our resources, our talents, our gifts, our workplace, our children, our anything, God, our mind, our our abilities. God, we put these things in your hand. We say these donkeys in our life, God, they belong to you. You are the Lord of them and you are the Lord of us. You are the Lord of our lives. And we ask you, God, today to help us to trust and obey. In your name we pray. Amen.